Let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. We'll read through verse 25, which will end the letter to the Ephesians. 24, actually. Paul the Apostle writes, And pray for me, too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we pray that this morning as we look into your word that you'd make these words become alive to us in our souls and that you'd breathe courage into us, Lord. We are in need of a word from you, dear God. We come here with different burdens, different concerns, different hopes and dreams, different hurts. We need the comforter to speak to us now. We don't need the words of a man. We need the words of God. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd give us that. In Jesus' name, amen. I really can't express to you how much um, joy I have to be here. It feels like coming home. So many of you, when I walk through the door, you say to me, welcome home. And that is what it feels like. It feels like coming home. The other words that people say to me are, it looks like you've dropped a few pounds, you're a few pounds lighter and you're a few shades whiter. (laughs) And both of those are the result of being stuck indoors for like six months at a time. You don't see much food or sunlight. (laughs) But it wasn't uh, long ago, last summer, I was in the overflow room and I was uh, leaving to go back to Boston after... Uh, being here for uh, a couple of weeks, I spoke for my friend Tim in LA at Reality LA, and my family and I stayed here. And again, it felt like home, and, and going back to Boston seemed really, really difficult. And so before I left, I asked a few friends, uh, both elders and intercessors, some of those that are going to be leading that class soon, to pray for me because we were leaving the next day. I spent some time at the beach with my family. In a lot of ways, I felt like I was a better dad in California. It was just so much easier to like, interact and engage with you know, life in some ways. And so this particular time, knowing I'm going back to a city that I struggled so hard to actually love or to even like, struggled with intense hatred at times. True story. And, and knowing that we're going back there, we're... we're The previous year, the winter had been so difficult and had wrestled through a lot of discouragement and even depression. I knew I needed prayer. I knew I needed something supernatural, a courage that was outside of myself. So I asked these friends and some, uh, you know, of the intercessors to, to pray over me. And as they're praying over me, one of them grabbed my left arm. I'm not left handed. And so she, she grabs my, 
my left arm, knowing that I'm right-handed, she says, I pray, God, that you would teach him to fight in a different way. I didn't know what that meant. I found out later, and I'll share with you what that meant in a few minutes. But as I was there, I I realized that what I need, I'd moved from hatred to apathy towards the city of Boston. I needed to move from apathy into authority. And I needed something supernatural. I needed a supernatural courage to help me to do that. And I wonder where you need courage today. I wonder what relationship you need courage to continue in. Or where you need to put courage into somebody else. That's the meaning of the word encourage. To put courage into someone else. And so many of you have done that for me and my family and for our team in Boston. So many of you have actively been a part. As I scanned the crowd, we've eaten together. You've prayed for me. You've sent me emails. You've put courage into me. And maybe you need that today. Paul the Apostle knows that so many of us needs that, need that. And that's why he closes his letter, this benediction, this final word of, of good news to the people in Ephesus saying, I'm writing and I'm actually sending you a friend of mine so that he gives you courage. His name is Tychicus or Tychicus. We'll call him Ty because I really don't know how to properly say his name. Paul says in Ephesians 6.22, I'm sending him, Ty, to you for this very reason, to let you know how we're doing and to put courage into your hearts. That's why Paul's been writing this letter, reminding them of their new identity as Christ followers, of their new community that they have as Christ followers, and of the authority that they can possess as followers of, of the risen king. And these verses, amongst other things, show us the kind of courage that we'll need for the road ahead. We're calling this courage for your calling. And the kind of courage that you need for the road that you'll face is found in a few different ways. Verse 19 shows us our need for this calling. Verse 20 shows us the nature of true courage. And verse 22 through 24, we'll look at the power to release it. So first, we'll start with our need for courage. And Paul knows in verse 19 what it feels like to be in need of courage. Paul begins his benediction with a prayer request. He says, hey, remember how we've been talking about pray always. Don't stop praying. It's really important that you keep praying because you're in the spiritual battle. He then says, I need your prayer. Lest you think of me like someone who's arrived as some spiritual giant, you've got to know we're in this thing together, man. We're made of the same stuff. I need your prayer so that I can continue to speak with boldness, he says in verse 19. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain this mysterious good news. He simply says, pray for me. I need courage. I need boldness. And we need courage for the same reason that Paul needs courage. Why? We need courage to face our calling. Simply put, he has just finished talking about this immense struggle that's there in the realm of darkness, 
kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and, and, and being a part of the kingdom of God means that you are immediately entered into a tension in life. And Paul isn't the only one who needs courage. You remember Joshua, when God told Joshua that he was to enter into a whole new calling, a new land, to say goodbye to the old and, and enter into the new, into Canaan, the promised land. He would need courage to do that. And God told Joshua, Joshua, be strong and of good courage because I'm with you. And don't ever let these words I've written to you leave your mouth. You're going to need courage, son. Joshua isn't the only one. In the New Testament, over and over again, you see the apostles praying during times of persecution for courage. You remember Acts chapter 4 when the apostles and the disciples excuse me, the disciples, they're released from prison. They're marginalized as followers of Jesus in their culture. It's nothing new. You are and you will be more and more. And when they go back together to their community group, they pray, God, give us more boldness. Give us courage, God. We need courage to do this. They need courage to face their calling. So do you and so do I. Martin Luther called um, or equated our calling to a station that we have in life. You know, we, a lot of times we, we're confused with what our calling in life is. We oftentimes confuse vocation with occupation. Your vocation, vocare, your calling is where, what uh, John Calvin said. You can find it oftentimes where your passion or your skills and giftings, or what you're excited about meets your compassion, the needs of the world. And you find your calling in a sense where, you know, it might be, it might be in your vocation or in your occupation, and you might find it at your job, or you might not, but all of you have been given a calling. In Genesis chapter 2, when God makes man and woman, he says, Now, I've made you in my image to tend the land and cultivate the land and, and care for creation and be a part of creating culture and renewing and restoring all these things. And work is a part of that. And through the fall, we have this diminished view of work, and, and we, we oftentimes view it as something that just needs to be done. But through our work and through, through uh, you know, our, our vocation, our calling, finding that in where we are in life is, is a difficult thing. But Martin Luther said, you can often find your calling with your station in life. So some of you are, some of you are daughters, some of you are sons, some of you are employees, employers, sisters, mothers, fathers. It's your call at this point. That's your station at this point in life. And you need courage to face it. But because we live in a modern Western America, particularly in Santa Barbara County or even in certain areas of Boston, or, these are sometimes the safest physical places to live. And so we don't feel that we necessarily need courage. But in his book, After Virtue, I've been browsing it uh, lately, author and philosopher Alistair McIntyre talks about the fact that in the ancient culture, courage was one of the four major virtues. And it was oftentimes taught as a curriculum to young children because they, they, in that age, children weren't expected to have a long lifespan. Physical stability wasn't a given. 
So they lived in ancient Greek cultures or ancient Roman cultures. They needed courage to face life, to face their calling. And so do you and so am I. But Paul the apostle knows what it's like to need courage because in verse 20, he says, For this calling, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I'll be bold enough to speak as I should. Because he's following Jesus, he's actually ended up in greater times of persecution or pain confusion. And these chains remind us of one thing. God will sometimes take you to places that you never intended to go to make you into someone you never thought you could be. God will sometimes take you places you never wanted to go to make you someone you never thought you could be. One Sunday afternoon, after a particularly difficult day in Boston, there's hardly ever any of those, and one Sunday afternoon after moving there, I was reading Lord of the Rings. I, I, was, the first time, I, I, I was taking a nap with my daughter, six-year-old Charlotte, and uh, it was the first time we actually took a nap together. So just laying there with her was just a treat for me. It was just a joy. And I was reading uh, to her while she's falling asleep. I was reading Lord of the Rings. She didn't understand anything. It would have scared her if she did. And there's a place in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf, the wizard is explaining to Frodo, the unlikely hero, his need to carry this ring. You know, you're familiar with it, most of you. This ring is, it, it, it embodies the passions of our heart, and it, it embodies also the, some sense of the journey and the need to conquer evil. And so the journey seems like a sure failure for this little hobbit. And Frodo learns of the all-seeing eye, the evil Saruman, and, and the powers that he faces in attempt to save the Shire and fulfill his call. And he realizes he lacks the courage to do so. And he says this. He says, I'm not made for perilous quests such as this. I wish I had never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? And Gandalf says, and so do all who live to see such times. But that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given us. Such questions can't be answered. You may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not possess, not for power or wisdom at any rate, but you have been chosen, and you must therefore use such strength and wits as you have. Frodo responds by saying, Well, I don't have a lot of wits, I don't have a lot of strength. Gandalf says, well, behind that, there was something else at work. Beyond the design of evil, I can put it no plainer than by saying that Bilbo was meant to find the ring and not by its maker, in which case you were meant to have it. And that may be an encouraging thought. And Frodo responds, it is not. (laughs) That's encouraging, right? Not really. That's how I felt. But as I was laying there reading that, that took me to a place of worship. And I wrote in my journal the next day that it took me to a place of worship because it struck me that maybe the burden of moving to Boston, maybe the burden of parenting, maybe the burden of marriage at times, maybe the burden that we oftentimes view as part of our journey and part of our struggle, and and, and those things are pale in comparison to what you face. But maybe there's something else at work for why you face the current call that you do. Maybe there's a bigger reason. And I wrote, all these things that we've been meant to carry, we've been meant to carry with our family 
or within our Christian community. And it's made God seem close to me, like he cares about me. Like what if God would have had that conversation with me? I was moved to thank him for the fruit that we don't deserve. And I shared with this with the guys, the admin team that have been working with me, helping uh, make decisions with me. And we all said, thank you, God, for the favor that we've, in, we've enjoyed as we've been called into this particular place in life. Like, what if God is looking at you saying, daughter, son, it's no accident that you are where you are. I know it seems like it is. And most people, when faced what you're faced with, say, I don't want to face it. I don't want to keep going. But maybe you've been chosen for some particular reason to carry this burden. I don't know. What I do know is that we need courage to face our calling in life. And like Frodo or like Paul and like you and I, we need courage to face it. So what's the nature of this courage? Verse 20 tells us. Because when we tend to think of courage, what do you tend to think of? We tend to think of people who can face dangerous, uh, you know, battles and, and brutalities. People that can rush into any, uh, you know, situation and just know what to do in any moment of life. Men racing toward battle lines with swords or machine guns. And sometimes, and, and in many ways, those, that requires a great amount of courage. But... I recently saw a documentary of a decorated soldier that faced battles and brutalities that would make most of us squeamish, most of us want to retreat. But away from those battles, he was a coward in the sense that he used his power and he used his authority to manipulate women to cause them to feel less than. He used his power corruptly and incorrectly, and in many ways, he was afraid to fess up as he lied for the specific reasons of of why he did that. And while some of us can find ourselves being heroic in certain certain instances and being courageous, we find ourselves also being cowards in others, which is the reason why we sometimes lie, embellish the truth, say things or try to portray a certain way that we're not, because we're afraid. We're afraid of what will happen if the true self, our true, the true us is exposed. Heard another story recently of a man who lost his entire family in an accident. He did the, the funeral of the entire family, his wife and three children. Those that he had went, went to church with looked at him. They're like, this guy is a spiritual hero. And yet he, after, being, after remarrying, remarrying, remarriage, After hooking up again (laughs) in his new call, um, he struggled with lust of the flesh. He struggled with pornography. He struggled with sexual brokenness. And the weight of that struggle and of his failures forced him, caused him to take his own life. He had the courage to face the death of his loved ones. But when it came to facing his own failures because he had looked maybe in different areas to what it means to be justified by faith, he was a coward. I find myself in the same boat many times. There's certain ways that you might be tempted, maybe not, to say, wow, so courageous. And then there's other ways when you look at me and you say, 
If you knew what is inside, you'd say, why why are you cowering over that? See, what causes some of us to be uh, heroic in certain circumstances or fearful in others is different, right? That varies. So what is the nature of true courage? According to Paul, he says, verse 20, For this calling, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Paul turns the whole cultural idea of courage on its head, and he says, true courage is being able to do the right thing regardless of the consequences. I know that what awaits me are chains, pain, but pray that I'll be able to open my mouth still. Our culture says, well, just don't think about it. It's unlikely that it's actually going to happen. It's not going to happen to you. Visualize success. Just think of yourself on the podium getting the award. And Paul says, no, you know, actually, well, actually life is pretty painful. And there's actually pain that might come from following Jesus, but true courage is being able to do the right thing regardless of the consequences. I heard another story this past week, only a couple days ago, of a pastor who got in front of his congregation, and after years of of, uh, holding this secret of, of having cheated on his wife, committed adultery with another woman, he got in front of his congregation and he says, with tears in his eyes, you might have read this story, I need to tell you, I need to come clean. I need to confess that I committed adultery against my wife years ago and I've been holding this secret in my heart for many, many years and I just want to share this with you. And as he's saying this, the people in the audience start saying, we love you, pastor, we forgive you, God forgives you. And they're they're shouting out love to him and he died on the spot. True courage is being able to do the right thing regardless of the consequences. I read an author this past week who quotes psychologist Alfred Adler. And Alfred Adler says that if you want to know what's really driving you, look at your nightmares. Look at the thing that you most fear. All of our fears are different. Some people are more afraid of facing physical pain. And some people can face physical pain with no problem. But the thought of being alone is horrific. Others of us, we face the, the fear of, of, having, of losing our, our you know, net worth or our value in some ways. Other people, that's not a big deal to them. But for them, the idea of being uh, embarrassed or seen as something you know, less than respectful is, is, is so painful. C.S. Lewis in this problem, problem of pain, um, he likens uh, fear. He p- puts fear in two categories. Because we all have different fears. He says there's fear proper, the natural fear of I'm, I'm afraid of, of, you know, of a lion in the road. You get that all the time, don't you? And <laughs> I'm afraid of more snow. <laughs> I just flinch every time it happens. It's not really fear proper. Or there's also numinous fear. The things that we fear because it's so, it's our heart and our soul are placed upon that thing. It's an overarching kind of a, an, a sense of awe, like that's the, ultimate, that's the ultimate thing I would fear. And when we think of courage, we th- typically think of physically strong people. But as we said, courage is facing your heart's greatest nightmare and doing the right thing anyway. It's facing the idea that 
What if I'm not going to be, I'm not going to receive the promotion at my job if I don't embellish the truth? Or what if I'm always going to be single even though I desire to be married? What if I never am able to have children? What if, what if the, I never get better? All of these thoughts are our greatest fears and courage is facing the greatest nightmare and doing the right thing anyway. And once you begin to understand that, once we grab a hold of that, we begin to see that our cowardice is wreaking havoc all over. As a former youth pastor, I got firsthand look at how many kids' lives are warped by their parents' own sense of cowardice. Some parents are so afraid of being successful of being not being successful or not being respected that they overwork neglecting their children on the other hand i've seen parents who are so afraid of not being accepted by their children that they never tell their children no They sneer at the ones who overwork, saying, I can't believe you would overwork. But they never tell their children no out of fear of not being accepted by their children. And if you're doing something self-absorbed, every time we do the self-absorbed thing and we're holding back from giving to others, that's cowardice. Self-absorption is the result of fear. Because fear is the opposite of love. And what does John say? Perfect love casts out all fear. That the God of grace, actually, he gives himself. Of course, the, the, the frightening thing for Jesus as he enters the world is to, to actually give himself to his accusers. He's without sin. And yet he gives himself completely. And for Paul, this kind of courage can only come from outside of himself. Ephesians 6.20, again, he says, pray that I might be bold enough, even though I'm in chains, pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Why? Because following Jesus will oftentimes involve loss. For Paul, it's the loss of maybe the way that he thought his life should be, the loss of certain dreams, the loss of certain relationships, certainly going to be the loss of his relationship with Tychicus. He's sending him away. He's giving him. John the baptizer knows this to be true as well. Remember when John, he's following Jesus, he's pointing to Jesus, and when he's in prison for actually obeying the call of God on his life, what is his question to the, his friends? Hey, can you um, go ask Jesus if he really is the Messiah? Because this isn't turning out quite like I thought it was going to be. I've asked that question so many times in the past year and a half. Is God really sovereign? Is this the way it's supposed to work? Is this the way that obeying that call is supposed to play out? Maybe you're asking the same question. You need courage. You need people around you. That's what, well, it's what we do together when we sing songs and when we hear the word of God and when we proclaim it to one another and, and when we come together and we, and we you know, greet one another and we respond together through the Lord's table and we pray and we pray with the prayer team. What are we doing? We're putting courage in one another. 
because we're facing a calling that's, that's it's, we need courage from outside of ourselves. At the end of the epic uh, journey towards the, the fire to deliver the ring, Frodo comes to the realization that those who suffer and sacrifice often, often reap no direct reward, at least not in this life, for their labors. And he says this, I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. I'm, it must often be so, Sam. When things are in danger, someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. In other words, Frodo comes to this realization that you and I come to that true courage is not so much about finding yourself. True courage is about losing yourself. Being willing to be the bridge over which others can cross safely. The nature of true courage, if it's being able to do the right thing regardless of the consequences, then some of you face that today with trusting God irregardless of the loss of health, loss of work, your singleness, trusting God in your marriage, working through that covenant with your children, with your barrenness, with your sexuality, with your money and generosity, with your calling, stewarding your privilege and stewarding your pain, facing the consequences and saying, I'm going to follow Christ in this. Christ gives himself away. Well, all of that sounds really good, but it's completely impossible if you don't have a power to do that. In verse 19 and verse 21 through 24, show us what this, where this power lies. It lies in two ways. We'll, we'll wrap it up with this. First, it lies in the fact that we need a God-sized weapon. Secondly, we need God-sized wonder. Verse 19 shows us this God-sized weapon when Paul says, Pray for me that I will be able to speak the mysteriousness of the good news. This thing's a mystery, and I need courage to continue sharing it. What does he need? He needs God-sized weapon in order to make that happen. What did it mean that he would need, or what did it mean for me that I would need to learn to fight in a whole new way? That's what I really wondered, that moment that, that that person spoke that over me. Afterward, when I was walking out of the uh, overflow, uh, another person who was there came to me, grabbed me and said, Al, what <clears throat> worship is going to be your weapon this next year. Worship must be your weapon. It's got to be the way that you fight. And I realized going back to Boston how much I just gave into self-pity, how much I gave into thoughts and emotions of, is God really in Boston this time of year? I mean, for sure he's in Carpinteria, but I don't think he visits Boston. I mean, I haven't seen, I swear to you, I have not seen grass since January. Now that doesn't, you know, mean God's not in Boston. It's just one of the reasons why he's not in Boston. I'm just kidding, totally joking. But I needed a whole new way to fight and worship had to become my new weapon. 
And when Paul says, I need you to pray for me, there's no other way I'm going to face this call unless you pray. It reminds us that there's actually something powerful that happens when we pray. In prayer, we submit our vision of the good life to God's vision for real life. We submit our, our version of what the good life is, right? You're going to go home today and you're going to click on TV or you're going to look on Twitter or you're going to look on, you know, uh, I was going to say MySpace, MySpace. You're going to look on Facebook <laughs> and you're going to see all forms of, 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 of uh, uh, characters, character, what it means to live the good life. Here's the good life. And your soul is going to want that. It's going to believe that. But through prayer, we come back and we, we lay down and we kneel down and we say, God, I need to surrender my version of the good life for your vision of real life. And it's fascinating what Paul doesn't pray for, isn't it? Paul doesn't pray. Pray that God will release me from jail. Because he believes that God has actually given him this ring to bear. And what if God is actually working through his chains? What if God is doing something beyond his own prison experience? What's doing, what's God, what if God's doing something beyond your pain? What if there's a, a reason for your work beneath your work? A reason for your marriage underneath your marriage? For your singleness, beneath your singleness. It's fascinating to me that when Daniel was praying, and he prayed for 21 days in Daniel chapter 10, that when he finally received a word from the angel, a word from God, in Daniel chapter 10 verse 11, the angel comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Just let that sink into your heart for a bit, you follower of Jesus. Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I've now been sent to you. After he said this to me, Daniel said, I stood trembling. Don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard. I've come because of your prayers, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of, of Persia. Now I've come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. From the first day you started praying, Daniel, God heard your prayer. But there's things happening in the spiritual realm you can't see. I've been at war. war. I've been opposing evil enemies. So glad you kept praying. And then Daniel 10, what does the angel say to him? Daniel says, Then the one with human likeness touched me again and strengthened me. He said, Don't be afraid, you who are treasured by God. Peace to you, or take courage, be very strong. C.S. Lewis says that prayer, what happens in prayer is that an ordinary, simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He's trying to get in touch with God, but if he is a Christian, he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God. God, so to speak, inside of him. 
But he also knows that all his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God, that Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what's happening? God is the thing to which he is praying, the goal he's trying to reach. God is also the thing inside him, which is pushing him on, the motive power. God is also the road or the bridge along which he's being pushed to that goal so that the whole threefold life of the three-personal being is actually going on in that ordinary little bedroom where an ordinary man is saying his ordinary prayers. The prayer of others has been so integral to the development of the church in Boston and to my personal sanity. Two weeks ago, I was facing a moment that I knew I needed courage outside of myself. I called one of those same intercessors that was in that room that day, and I said, I need prayer for for this particular thing. And as that person began to pray... I was also able to pray for that person. That person's rarely ever prayed for as an intercessor. And so I said, can I pray for you? And that person said, gosh, it's so rare that I ever ask for prayer because I just feel like my role is to pray for others. I just felt so good to be prayed for. Same thing as Paul. But you know what? As God is my witness, I saw things begin to shape that very weak as a result of that person's prayers. And I didn't realize till later as I was jotting thoughts down, that's what was praying. That was what was happening. This is answer prayer. But the situation isn't resolved still. And I realize how little I'm prone to pray because I'm prone to fix. In order for us to move from apathy into authority, we needed prayer. Last February, um, a year ago plus, I, after a, a, a very difficult winter and after some very difficult loss and after really intense feelings of depression and discouragement, my wife and I got really sick. Our daughter was rushed to the hospital. She was in the emergency. They thought her lung collapsed, our, our one-year-old at the time. And um, we, we just felt like we're, we're out here by ourselves. We felt really lonely. We felt like we can't, we can't do this. We're sick. We're trying to keep the kids at, at bay. Our, you know, we just have experienced tremendous loss in other parts of our lives with our dear, dear, dear friends and family. And how do we, how do, we do this? We're doing this church, and sometimes it feels like we're just plain church because it's all these Californians plus a few people that are moved from other places that have met together in one spot. And it just felt so insignificant. And I sent an email out to several of you who are in this room and the intercessors who were, are mentioned there and some of the elders in here, and I said, we need prayer. If something doesn't happen, if this doesn't break, we're not going to make it. That Sunday... I started to experience a little bit of grace. That Sunday, that was Friday, that Sunday, there was a little bit of a shift in my own heart. And a little bit more. And a little bit more. And then the bombings happened during the marathon. And then when the bombings happened, that pain actually caused us to feel a little bit more authority for the the city that we live in. 
We wanted to see more people reach. So we called a prayer meeting with five other churches that are local to the area. And five different pastors from all different denominations came up and we shared the stage and we prayed and we led our people in prayer. It was one of my most favorite memories to this day. And God gave us a little bit more authority. And then that summer after leaving this room, going back to Boston, September, all of a sudden, one day, I go inside. It had rained again. It just it had been raining several times. This particular day, it was, it was really, really stormy on a Sunday. And I just thought, oh, light. We'll have light attendance probably. No big deal. Makes it easier on me. I walk out, and it's packed. And I think I prayed with, with Pastor Britt that morning. I usually call him on Sunday mornings telling him how bad I feel prior to going to the church, and he prays for me. <laughs> And I walk out, and it's packed. And you know what? Since that day, we've experienced more and more fruit and grace. We now have nine neighborhood groups scattered around the city. We had about, you know, I, I won't bore you with the, with the numbers. You can ask if you have further questions. But my point is, something outside of us has taken place, and we're beginning to move from apathy into authority. We need God-sized weapons. Samuel Chadwick says this, There is no power like that of prevailing prayer, of Abraham pleading for Sodom, Jacob wrestling in the stillness of the night, Moses standing in the breach, Hannah intoxicated with sorrow, David heartbroken with remorse and grief, Jesus in sweat and blood. Add to this list from the records of the church your personal observation and experience, and always there is a cost of passion unto blood. Such prayer prevails. It turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. But you know what? That would cause us to to want to be the, we're going to be the people that wield this God-sized weapon. But we can't do that unless we have a God-sized wonder. Verse 21 through 24 give us this picture of Paul sending a comforter, sending someone to the people who need to be encouraged giving his beloved away so that others can benefit. He sends Tychicus, or Ty, says in verse 22, Ty, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to put courage in your hearts. What's so significant about this? Remember earlier in verse 20, Paul says, pray for me to have the boldness to share the mystery of the good news. Why is it a mystery, Paul? It's a mystery for a few reasons. And it ties into Ty. First, it's a mystery because the good news, the gospel, is news rather than instruction. It's good news, not... (laughs) uh, good instructions for what you have to do. It's something that God has already done. As Tim Keller says, religion says that we need to muster up the strength to obey God. Or in our language, 
We need to muster up our own courage so that we can carry out good deeds. But Paul says, I need a courage outside of myself because the gospel is a mystery. It's different from what people normally assume. Religion says, often assumes that God sends a savior to the morally courageous. But Paul says, this is a mystery because God saves those who confess that they are morally cowards. That in some areas we're, we're tempted to be heroes, but in other areas we tend towards cowardice. And he saves those with a lack of courage. Jesus doesn't come simply to be a good example. He comes to be the substitute. He doesn't save cowards by his example of being a, a great, morally courageous man. He saves them by his substitution. So when Paul sends tie to them to give them courage, for you and I, it's a picture that God sends his own son to you and I because we could not carry out our courageous deeds. We needed somebody else to carry this out. And Paul sends Ty in his place as substitution in order to bring courage and bring love and bring peace and to bring grace to them. And Ty comes as Paul's substitute. He's known as the chief, as a faithful minister or servant. And what did Jesus say about himself? He said, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes as the faithful servant. Why? Because you are not courageous. Because you need courage to face your call. Because we tend to show people a side of ourselves that we want them to see because inside we know we need help. We know we need courage. It's not just news. It's also incredible grace. That's how he closes his letter. In verse 24, Paul says, or verse 23, Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis was asked, what's the difference between Christian, the Christian faith and other religions? There was a deadlock in a debate, and he walks into the room, and he says, he sits down, and he says, that's easy. It's grace. See, I think we confuse grace with mercy a lot of times. Mercy is like this. I'm guilty before the judge, and I know that I'm guilty, but I need a pardon. And the judge looks at me, and he says, even though I know you're guilty, I'm going to declare you not guilty. You're free to go. And we say, thank God. But grace is like this. You're driving along the 101. You've had a glass of wine, a couple glasses of wine. You've pulled over. Your blood alcohol level is beyond the limit. You know you're guilty. You know what should happen to you. Officer pulls you over, comes to the window and says, do you know why I stopped you? Breathalyzer, you blow in, you're guilty. The officer comes back to the car and says, tell you what. You have to serve for, the, for your crime. You have to pay the punishment. You say, I know, I'm guilty. The officer says to you, but here's what I'm going to do. I want you to get, step out of the car. I've reserved a car for you to come and pick you up. I'm going to get in the car for you. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to serve your punishment for you. Not only that, I have... 
2.5 million in the bank. When you go back home, here's the number. Call this bank. They'll give you, the, they'll give you all of your needs. That's grace. And that's what God gives you. Grace upon grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reversal of the weak and the strong. And I close with this uh, quote and verse. G.K. Chesterton says, Of all creeds, Christianity alone has added courage to the virtues of the Creator. But the only courage worth calling courage must necessarily mean that the soul passes a breaking point and does not, does not break. And Christ is the one who's done that. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we have received such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. How does Jesus follow through, continue in his courage? The joy that's set before him. The joy is you. How do we continue to walk in courage? Joy. Joy in the grace of God, in his love, in God's peace that he willingly gives to you and I. We receive that now as we come forward and receive the Lord's Supper. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for our courage outside of ourselves, God. If left up to us, we would just fake it till we made it. And we need this courage to follow you, dear God. My friends need it. I need it. We pray for an authority as we pray in the supernatural realm, trusting that things are happening. We're not changing your mind, but we're working in consonant with your will. We pray that you'd speak to us now as we respond to you in Jesus' name.